We only have three more weeks in the life of Joseph. Then we've got to go on to something else for a couple weeks before we take a break around the holidays. Hard to believe we're coming down to the end of the year. By the way, we'll be letting you know about this more and more, but uh, time is getting closer to, to start reminding us about our sort of our holiday schedule. Uh, our last Wednesday night Bible study of the year will be December the 9th, and then we'll take uh, the rest of the Wednesdays in December off, and then we'll come back the first Wednesday in January and start a new series uh, in the first of the year. But for the next three weeks, we're going to finish up looking at the life of Joseph. And tonight, once again, just a great chapter chocked full of, of just amazing, amazing things. As I was reading and studying this chapter, I was reminded, how do I want to die? And, and I don't mean that physically. I mean, obviously, if we could choose how we physically want to die, that would be one thing. But, but I, mean, I mean sort of spiritually, if you will. How do we want to die? What do we want to be known for when our life is over? What kind of spiritual legacy do we want to leave? What, what kind of influence uh, and inspiration will we leave behind in other people's lives? What we are seeing playing out here in Genesis 48 is a man, Jacob, who is at the end of his life and he knows it. And he's, in a sense, trying to sort of get his spiritual house in order. And we see now things becoming very clear to him about what should be the most prominent, important things in his life. What should have been maybe the priorities all along. And he finally even gets to a place in his life where he recognizes, he acknowledges, and he follows finally that God's way is best. And I just need to do what God wants because that's just the best way. It's taken him almost a lifetime to learn that, but he did learn that before he went out into eternity. And so tonight we're going to see this man sort of in a sense now living from death backwards, if you will. And what I, what I mean by that is knowing that death is imminent, it's like I'm, I'm making sure that each thing that I do, each choice that I make has the way I want to leave this earth in mind. And and even though he's got a short amount of time, I think what's important for us is we can apply that same principle to our lives, even if we're a young person. If this is the way I want to go out, if this is the way I want to end my life, if this is the way I want my life to be and the spiritual legacy I want, then I can begin right now to, to set my life on a course that's going to end up in that way. To keep that in mind always as a driving force, that's what we see happening here in Genesis 48. You'll notice in verse 1, it says, After these things, Joseph was told, Your father is weakening. Literally is sick. It's the first time in the Bible, and of course Genesis is the, 
the firsts of a lot of things mentioned in the Bible since it's the first book. This is the first time illness is mentioned in the Bible. Genesis 48, 1. And Jacob is becoming very ill in his old age. And so the Bible says that Joseph took his two sons that were born to him in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim with him, and he went to visit his father knowing that he didn't have a lot of time left. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel regained strength and sat up on his bed. I couldn't help but when I read that, go back 20-some years now to, to my own father, lying in the hospital, dying of cancer, hadn't been responsive for days, and when we brought Stephen and Beth Ann into his room, it was like he, he got re-engaged. He was able to muster up like that last bit of strength for his own grandchildren. And, and you see that here. It's like it was really important for Jacob that, that he needed and wanted to do this with his own grandchildren. And of course, he had 17 years in Egypt with his grandchildren before he passed away. Jacob says to Joseph, The sovereign God appeared to me at Luz, another name for Bethel, which means house of God, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. One of the things that we notice about Jacob as he's, you know, going through the exercises here in Genesis 48, is how often now he mentions God. And how much he acknowledges God in his life. It's like, at the end of his life, he finally realizes what a big part, if you will, God played in his life. And he begins to give more and more credit to God. Oh, that we could live that way each day and each week, way before we were, you know, on the brink of death. That we could give God more credit and be more thankful and acknowledge Him more. You'll notice, first of all, in verse 3, that Jacob refers to God as the Sovereign God. El Shaddai. It means the Almighty One. What does the truth that God is the Almighty God mean to you? How can you relate that to your own walk with God right now? What kind of encouragement can, can you receive from knowing that God, our God, is the Almighty God? The all-powerful God. And then he said, not only is he the sovereign God, but that he appeared to me. He wanted to manifest and reveal and and show Himself to me. God wanted to open Himself up. He wants to do that with each of us. He wants us to know Him more. Because He understands the more we know Him, the, the more we know about Him, the more acquainted thoroughly we get with Him, the better off we're going to be. 
We won't get so wrapped up and caught up and concerned and, and anxious about all these other things when we, when we truly know who God is. And obviously one of the things that God wanted to reveal to him was that he was the almighty, all-powerful God. One of the times that Jacob is remembering here is when he was at Bethel or Luz and he saw this ladder that extended from earth to heaven. And the angels were going up and down on the ladder. It was a special place for Jacob because, again, it was where God manifested or revealed or showed himself. In what way does God want to more clearly reveal himself to you in your life right now? How is God trying to show himself to you? Because God, I think, is always desiring to show more of himself to us. To make us more acquainted with him in some way. He did that with Jacob and he wants to do that with us as well. And then he goes on to say, he not only appeared to me, he blessed me. And again, blessing in the Bible, the word bless is a word that we use a lot to bless, to be blessed, to bless God, to bless others. What does it really mean? It really means to give or entrust someone with what is of greater or greatest value and worth. That's being blessed. In other words, Jacob is acknowledging, God gave me at Bethel what was of great worth and value. And... And sometimes the reason that you and I don't recognize the blessing of God is because our value system and God's value system sometimes doesn't align. And part of why we need God to reveal Himself and we need to be open to getting more and more acquainted with God and growing in our relationship with God is so that our value system, what, what is of high worth to us is the same as God so that when He does bless us, we recognize it, acknowledge it, and accept it. That blessing to Jacob was verse 4. I, God says to him, am going to make you fruitful. I will cause you to bear fruit and I will multiply you. I will grow you or increase you numerically. I will make you into a group of nations and I will give this land to your descendants as an everlasting possession. Notice God's going to do all this. And again, not because Jacob deserves it any more than you and I deserve it. This is God's grace on display. God says, I've just chosen to do this. I made a covenant with your ancestor Abraham and I'm going to fulfill my promise to Abraham. And I did that to Isaac and I'm going to do it to you and to your descendants as well. All that is really needed here is for Jacob and his descendants to believe in what God said he would do, to trust his promises. And we know there were many times in the history of Israel 
where they were, as a nation, filled with unbelief and faithless towards God's promises rather than believing in God's promises, which is one of the reasons why they did not enter into the promised land when they could have, and they wandered for 40 years. God said, I'll do it. Will you believe? Maybe even now, again, to apply this to your life personally. Maybe God is saying, I want to do this. Will you believe in me? Will you trust me? I'll do it. You just have to believe and trust. And so again, he's, as an elderly man on the brink of death, he is rehearsing and recalling The goodness of God, the greatness of God, the promises of God, it's God. That's what's really important to him now and what God has done and what God is going to do. And now at at this time in his life, he understands, I'm getting ready to go off the scene, but God's story through me and my family is going to continue through my own son, Joseph, and through his son's. Because I'm part of something bigger than myself and something that's going to last much longer than my own earthly life. Again, oh, that we could grasp that on a daily basis. That God wants us to be part of something much bigger than us that will last much longer than us. And that's why God calls us to be part of the church today. Because that's what God is building That's what Jesus is building. I am building my church, he said. And when you and I are part of what God's doing, then we will be part of that spiritual legacy that is left through his church. Notice verse 5. Now as for your two sons, Jacob says to Joseph, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they will be mine Jacob is asserting his fatherly authority here. And let's give Joseph credit. He is willing to acknowledge and submit to Jacob's authority as his father. And Jacob now is going to formally adopt Joseph's two sons as his own. And basically bring them into his family. Not Joseph's family, Jacob's family. And you'll notice that they are going to replace Jacob's own sons, Reuben and Simeon, in the plan of God. These two sons of Jacob have forfeited their privilege of being leaders in the nation of Israel as heads of the tribes of Israel because of their sin. And this again reminds us of the principle that obviously they're part of the family and they always will be part of the family, but they're not going to be leaders. They're not going to have a prominent place in the, in the kingdom as far as the nation of Israel is concerned. And the same thing is true today. You're part of God's family, you're part of God's family, but... God is looking for choice servants to be leaders and to be servants of His that He can put on display to reveal Himself to others. 
And that requires faithfulness on our part. And Reuben and Simeon were unfaithful to God. Therefore, they didn't forfeit their position in the family. That can't happen. But they did and would forfeit their leadership. They were the two oldest. But now they were going to be replaced by Joseph's sons. Or Jacob's grandsons. And through this too, this adoption, Jacob was even honoring Joseph. Because now Joseph was going to have a double portion, if you will, of the blessing. And now two of Joseph's sons were going to be two of the twelve tribes. An amazing thing. He says, Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine. By the way, this is cool what's going on here. But let's not forget that God was having to even break down some prejudice in Jacob's heart. Because let's not forget that these two sons of Joseph were Egyptian. And half Egyptian and half Jew. And for a full-blooded Jew, even back then, that... That took a little bit of a, of a stretch, if you will, again, to just trust God, that God knew what he was doing. But even way back in Genesis, what that was revealing is, God is a God who loves the world. And even though he has chosen his own people, this nation, to primarily work through, he has always been one that was accepting of everyone from all nations who will trust him and believe in him. And you see this even in Jacob's adoption of Joseph's sons that were half Egyptian. He goes on to say, just as Reuben and Simeon are. I don't know if any of you here tonight are adopted, but the Bible just paints a beautiful picture of adoption throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. The Bible, in a sense, tells us as the spiritual offspring of God that all of us have been adopted, if you will, into the family of God because we, we weren't born into the family of God naturally. And so God uses this, this beautiful picture of adoption throughout the Bible and it is a wonderful picture. Any children that you father after them, Jacob said, will be yours. They will be listed under the names of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, Jacob wants to honor the memory of his beloved wife, Rachel, whom he says, when we were returning from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan. It happened along the way, some distance from Ephrathah, or Ephrath. So I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, the house of bread. Rachel always held a special place and prominence above any of the other gals that, that were in Jacob's life. And part of this was, this adoption was, again, a way to honor the memory of his late wife, Rachel. Verse 8. 
When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he asked, Who are these? Now later on in the passage, it talks about how his eyes were failing. But this question is not a question born out of the fact that he can't see. What is happening here is a formal adoption ceremony. And this question is very similar to today's wedding ceremony many times where the, the pastor or minister during the ceremony would say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father says, her mother and I do. That's what's taking place here. He is basically saying, who are these? And Joseph says to his father, they are the sons God has given me in this place. This is language of this formal adoption ceremony, this precious ceremony that is taking place pretty much on the deathbed of Jacob. His father said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. And again, in Jacob's mind, what, what could I do for my own grandsons? What would be of greatest worth and value to my grandchildren? And this is a great concern and focus of Jacob now. This is, this is at the end of his life, the, the thing that really consumes him is passing on this spiritual heritage and, and the privilege of who they are with God as a people to his own grandsons and his own grandchildren. It reminds me, and I think it would remind all of us, if we want to be a blessing to others, it's more about giving them what is of greatest worth and value. And what could be of greater worth and value than giving them God? Or in giving them the Word of God in some way? Or in giving them something that connects them with God? Or helps them grow in God? And helps them understand God? And become more acquainted with God. This is, this is a, what is of greatest worth and value. We can give our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our family members and our acquaintances and co-workers many things. But the most important thing at the end of the day when we stand on the brink of eternity and everybody else stands on the brink of eternity is what was of greatest worth and value that we gave to them. And that's where Jacob's at. Now it does say that Israel's eyes were failing because of his age. And what is now in these next few verses is a very incredibly moving and emotional scene. This is a man who is at the end of his life and he knows it. And so notice even physically here, he was not able to see well. So Joseph brought his sons near to him. Manasseh and Ephraim would have been probably about 20 years old at this point. So they'd have been young men. And yet notice it says, And his father Jacob kissed them and embraced them. He expressed affection. He touched them. Maybe it. 20-year-old guy even back then would be like, My grandfather's kissing on me and hugging me and everything. But... You know what? The Bible teaches us the importance of physical touch and affection. 
even with boys, how important it is that they are affirmed and that they are embraced and that they are given expressions of affection. That's what Jacob is doing here at this moment. He's loving on his grandsons. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see you again. But now God has allowed me to see even your children, my grandchildren. God has been faithful to Jacob in spite of his unfaithfulness. And notice here in verse 11, Jacob is giving again God the credit. God allowed me to do this. I didn't deserve it. But God blessed me in allowing me to see and have time with my grandchildren before I died. And to be able to bless them and pass on to them our spiritual heritage as the people of God. To Jacob, this was precious. Precious time before he went out into eternity. So Joseph moved them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And here we see, even though Joseph was the second most powerful man in Egypt, Joseph was a man living under the authority of God. Because in his bowing down, he was not only submitting to God's authority in his life, but he was submitting to Jacob's authority, his father in his life as well. It is a reminder to us that as the people of God, we have to learn to live under authority. We will never learn to live under God's authority in our life if we are not willing to live under other authority in our life. And Joseph is a great example of that. Notice Joseph positioned them. He put Ephraim, the second, on his right hand across from Israel's left hand. And then he put Manasseh, the firstborn, on his left hand across from Israel's right hand. Because the right hand was always the, the one that was the favored position. It's why the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. It is the prominent, preeminent position. So Joseph is just thinking, well, Jacob's going to, you know, bless with the sort of the blessing of the firstborn, Manasseh. And then Ephraim will get a great blessing too, but it'll, it'll be the second blessing, if you will. Then Joseph brought them closer to his father. Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head. By the way, this is the first mention in Scripture of many times of the laying on of hands. Here Jacob is literally laying his hands on his grandsons. To lay our hands on someone is, is a picture of transferring something. It, it, it is sort of that, that idea of passing the baton, if you will, transferring something to someone. And again, it is a reminder, what, what do I want to pass on? What do I want to transfer to this person as I lay my hands on them? For Jacob, this was a precious time to literally have his hands on his own grandsons. And it says, he placed it on Ephraim's head, although he was the younger. And I love this. Crossing his hands. 
he put his left hand on Manasseh's head. For Manasseh was the firstborn. He just switched. And he, by his own choice, was going to bless the younger over the elder. Now, before we go more into this, it is very interesting to me and and, and very significant to me that of all the things that Jacob was known for, it was this act in Genesis 48 that he was known for in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. That's where of all the things in Jacob's life, what was the act of faith that he would be remembered for? It was this, that he blessed his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has protected me from all harm, bless these boys. I believe that Jacob was, again, following the leading of God here very clearly. And that's part of why this was recognized as a great act of faith by God in Jacob's life. He was saying, this is what God wants. Might not be what I want, Joseph. It's definitely not what you want, Joseph. But this is what God wants. God wants me to bless the younger over the older. And this is the fourth consecutive generation where that happens. Remember? Isaac over Ishmael. Jacob over Esau. Joseph over Reuben. And now Ephraim over Manasseh. Why many times in the Bible... Does God choose the younger one over the older one when throughout the Bible, you know, there is that whole thing about the firstborn and the eldest? I think there's a couple reasons. One, God is reminding us, I make the choice of who I want to. That that just because someone is in a birth order a certain way doesn't mean that's who I choose. And that just because someone is in that order doesn't mean that they can presume upon themselves to somehow have, have me obligated to them in some way. Because it's one thing to be part of a family. That's a whole separate issue. But when you're talking about being a leader in God's kingdom or being one of His servants or ministers, that has to be proven by our faithfulness. And that's not always the firstborn or the oldest that basically satisfies that. Many times you find in the Bible, it was the younger ones that were more faithful to God than the older ones. And so when God is choosing those to minister and to serve, many times He would bypass the older ones and choose the younger ones because He would say, you can be part of the family. 
But when I'm looking for people to serve and minister, I'm looking for those who were obedient, those who listened, those who were teachable, those who were faithful, those who were devoted, those who were committed. And many times it was just like the mindset of the Israelites. They almost, because of their position with God, presumed that they had a certain standing. And God says, no, 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 no. See, that, that's what was wrong with the Israelites even when Jesus came. Oh, we're, we're Abraham's seed. We're, we're in. We're good. No. You've got to believe in the Messiah. You won't even see the kingdom of God, Jesus said. So you and I have to be careful that just because, you know, of this and that, it might look different, but that somehow we presume that God's obligated in some way to us. Because he certainly lays down in the very first book of the Bible and all the way through the Bible that he'll choose who he wants to choose. Whether it's the firstborn or the youngest. It's his choice. And I think that's a precedent that he's setting here. Notice, I love this in verse 15, again, when Jacob is recalling his life at the end of his life. He's telling Joseph and his grandsons, God has been my shepherd, verse 15. This is the first mention in the Bible of God as a shepherd to his people. It speaks of one who's a companion. It speaks of one who cares for. It's, it's one who provides for his people. He's a shepherd, as the psalmist David writes in Psalm 23, that leads me to green pastures and still waters and restores our soul. God is our shepherd. We shall not want. And then he says, he is also the angel, the one who protected me from all harm or through all adversity. Not only is he the shepherd who provides, he is in a sense the angel of God who protects. Who is near to us. In fact, I love this word protected. We're learning a lot about this in our study of the book of Ruth with the gals on Thursday night. This is the word that speaks of the kinsman redeemer. The one who enabled one to redeem what was lost. That's the word used here in verse 16 of protected. And I love this when Jacob says, May my name, verse 16, be named in them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Again, Jacob was acknowledging and recognizing we're all part of something bigger. And how I live my life is going to affect my sons and my grandsons and my granddaughters and, and everyone and so many other people around me. And Jacob is so conscious of this now as he comes to the end of his life. Oh, that you and I could capture that way before we're ready to leave the earth. How do we want to die? What kind of legacy do we want to leave? What do we want to be known for? 
What kind of inspiration and influence are we in other people's lives? This is what is in the forefront of Jacob's mind. He goes on to say, verse 16, May they grow into a multitude on the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. Literally in the Hebrew, it afflicted him. It caused him pain. He's like as the dad, like, oh my goodness, no, you're, you're, you're giving your blessing to the... He's not the firstborn. It bothered Joseph. Joseph was probably one of those people that everything needed to be in its place. And it's like, oh, dad, you're messing this up. So he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But notice Jacob's reaction. He's very forceful here and very firm. His father utterly refused and said, I know, my son. They said, I know what I'm doing. I'm following the Lord here. Get in line. He too will become a nation, and he too will become great, Manasseh would. But in spite of this, his younger brother Ephraim will be even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. By the way, do you know who was from the tribe of Ephraim? Joshua. Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim, the one that would lead the nation one day, literally into the promised land. So the Bible says in verse 20, he blessed them. He finally, again, had gotten to a place where God's way was best. God, if you you want me to give the primary blessing to Ephraim, that's what I'll do. I'm just going to fall in line and do what you're asking me to do instead of fighting you all the time. Questioning you. By you will Israel bless, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die. And what's one of the last things he says to his great son Joseph? Something that all of us can say to others as well. And something that that to me is as comforting and as encouraging and something that we can pass on to others that it, it is better than anything else we could share with them. And that's what Jacob shared. God will be with you. These words mean that God will accompany. There will be fellowship and companionship with God. He will be there to help and support. That's what it means to be with us. God will be our companion, our friend, our helper, our supporter. He will fellowship with us and accompany us every day of our life. And Jacob said, that's what God was for me and that's what God will be for you. I'm getting ready to leave the scene. I'm out of here. But God goes on with you. And then he also says this, and God will be true to his word, my son, because he promised that he would bring us back to the land of your fathers. And I still trust and believe in that promise, verse 21. 
as one who is above your brothers, I give to you the mountain slope, which I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. As we close this great chapter tonight, one of the things that we might miss, that I don't want us to miss, before we leave Genesis 48. And that is the faith of Joseph to allow his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to be adopted by his father Jacob for this reason. By doing this, Joseph knew that his sons were going to give up any kind of prominent position or place in the land of Egypt. That would never be offered to them now. And what this is a great picture of, especially for us as parents and grandparents, is that Joseph realized that being great, if you will, in the eyes of God and in His kingdom is more important than any position that my grandchild or child could hold in the world. Because Egypt represents the world in the Bible. And there are so many even Christian parents that they, they, they focus their whole life trying to make sure that their children have a prominent place in the world but not so much in God's kingdom or in the church. And I think what Joseph is showing us here as a parent is, it was more important for his two sons to have a prominent place with God in God's program than it was to have a prominent place in the kingdom of Egypt. In fact, let me share this. Doesn't this remind you of the passage in Hebrews where even it talks about Moses when it says this, By faith, when Moses grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed on the reward. That's faith. I'm going to give up what the world can offer me. And I'm going to latch hold of and I'm going to live for what God gives me. Many even Christians don't live that way anymore. They're trying to grab all of what the world can give them and invest very little in God's kingdom and God's program. By Joseph allowing his sons Manasseh and Ephraim to be adopted by his own father Jacob, he was releasing all that. And realizing for him too as a father that the best way I can bless my sons is by giving them what is of greatest worth and value. And what is of greatest worth and value is for them to be in the very center of what God is doing. Not so much what the world 
is doing. And we don't want to miss that before we leave Genesis 48. Genesis 48. How do we want to die? What legacy do we want to leave? What do we want to be known for? What kind of influence and inspiration do we want to be in other people's lives? This is what this chapter is all about. From a man who's getting ready to step out into eternity and meet God. May we learn and grow from Genesis 48 tonight. Let's pray. Father, may we have a perspective that allows us to live the way Jacob lived at the end of his life before we get to that place. Help us, Lord, even as young people to be investing and living for eternity rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin and what the world offers us. Help us to realize, God, that that which is of greatest worth and value is connected with you and your kingdom and your work. And though it may go totally unrecognized and unappreciated by the majority of the world, God, help us to live by faith that it's not about what the world recognizes. It's not about the approval and applause of the world. It's about at the end of our life, when we go into eternity and meet you, hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's about living for the audience of one, you. It's about pleasing one, and that's you. So God, give us those eyes of faith tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.